Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco, and I am very happy to be here back in the studio this afternoon with what's going to be a wonderful show. Um, we have two women with us today, and the first is going to be our very own contributor, Tish Squilero, who is the founder and CEO of Candor Consulting and the author of Head Trash. And after Tish's segment, we're going to be joined by Rose Mercario. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, uh, president and CEO of Patagonia, which is a global outdoor outdoor apparel company. So we're going to start with Tish. And uh, as, as some of you know, if you're um, a regular listener to the show, Tish wrote a, a really tremendous book called Head Trash that um, talks about emotional tendencies and uh, thought patterns that we all have that can often inhibit uh, our best practices at work and have an effect in our in our daily lives. And today, Tish is going to be focused on arrogance, um, which I kind of think is timely in, in light of the... Um, political climate and campaign that we have going on, so I'm anxious to hear Tish's thoughts. Tish, welcome to the show. Hi there, Susan. How are you today? I am doing great. I am uh, ready to talk about arrogance. Good. You're probably right. It's very relevant right now. I think so. Especially with the Republican convention starting. Yeah, and I'm certainly not going to give any opinions, but I do think that, um, you know, with what's going on, kind of, Getting to the definition, the root of, and and what arrogance can do for for people, um, you know, is, is going to be a help. Um, I understand that one of the things that you're going to talk about is the difference between ego and arrogance, and how you know ego can actually be a positive, healthy thing to have um, to a certain limit. But why don't you go ahead and talk about? that first, um, what what arrogance is and, and really what the difference is between that and, and, and ego. Your ego, which, you know, when you think about it in today's terms, gives it a negative connotation because they are usually people who are very over the top with thinking they're the best uh, or great or better than others. But an ego in definition is your confidence, right? So what arrogance is in a healthy state, and as you know, head trash looks at seven emotions that, when healthy, are everyday emotions that all of us have and all of us should maintain. But when they cross the line and become unhealthy, and an arrogant state, when your confidence crosses the line and produces this unwillingness to listen to others, collaborate, um, share ideas with other people, it makes it very unhealthy. And then you're the only voice in the room, usually dictating orders to others. And so that's where it does cross the line and become unhealthy. But the sadness is arrogance in its own right, when it's used in the right way, is actually healthy. And, you know, Steve Jobs was someone who talked openly about his arrogance as being the thing that drove him to make some of those, you know, innovative choices in Mm. building out the empire that he built. But then he also said, you know, it was difficult to be around me unless I had filters to manage through where my arrogance crossed the line. 
right? So I don't want folks to think that they shouldn't be confident. And this is a lot of the coaching that we do where many times arrogant people really do know their stuff and are very capable. Mm. And people should want to hear them. However, their delivery and how they deliver that information becomes so offensive or off the charts in a way which you stop listening. And I think that's the big component where it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting fine line between knowing your stuff and being able to teach someone, knowing yourself, yourself and being able to yell it at someone. So we always say you want to make it a teaching moment. Those tend to have much more lasting output and effect instead of a yelling or telling moment, which people usually shut down and don't listen. Right. So one of the things when I was reading, um, just kind of preparing for today, and, and you describe what arrogance looks like, one of the descriptions was thinking that nothing happens without your involvement. And, you know, that to me sounds like people, and I, I know we all know people like this that are that are so controlling. Um, and so my guess is they're, that one of the reasons they are so controlling is perhaps they have um, a bit of this arrogance that, that really has them believe that nothing's going to happen unless they're, they're involved. Well, you know, it's interesting. So control and arrogance have an overlap, and we call that a head trash cocktail, where you'll have one or two that combine together to allow themselves uh, an element of overlap. And many times people who are controlling use arrogance as a way to put distance between themselves and vice versa. Those who are arrogant tend to control, but there is a big difference between controlling it because you feel you're the only one to get it done. Arrogance is you're the only one to get it done right and best. Mm. That's the subtle difference because someone arrogant feels the others can't even do it, where a controlled person is just too frightened that someone's not going to do it you know, well enough or get it done. Arrogant people feel that, well, no one else could possibly do it as good as I can. (laughs) And so how about a a tip for dealing with people like that? Well, you know, they're not easy because they tend to also be standoffish and indifferent to how they come across with the strength of their arrogance. So they make it not, you know, approachable. But one of the ways to uh, go for that is to ask a lot of questions. And involve yourself because people who are who tend to be arrogant want to hear themselves talk so you could appease them by saying oh that's really interesting I'd love to hear more and you know if you could I'd also like to input this because this might actually add to what you're thinking you have to interject yourself and feel comfortable because someone who is arrogant will listen to something that they consider smart Mm -hmm. you just have to be able to speak up and many times people shy away from speaking up which causes that disconnect and that inability to ever have a voice in a room when you've got someone so arrogant. It's to have a little courage to know that if you know your stuff, that you want to be heard. And being heard doesn't mean you have to yell. And that's where they fail. And they get left out of a lot of things, too. Why They don't get invited to meetings. Social gatherings. That arrogant friend that you know you can only have with certain other friends because they'll put up with that person. We've all lived with that. Right. Or you can only deal with them in certain dose, a certain amount of you know, doses, I should say. Fine. <laughs> right? You can only do it in an yeah. hour or so with that group. Right. The other group is a lot more amenable. Exactly. So these people are within our, they're in our lives. And sometimes maybe we get arrogant ourselves because we're so sure and our passion comes out where we stop listening to the other person. And that's really that crossing line. When you stop listening to those around you, that intelligence you have becomes very stifling to somebody else. Right. So in the minute that we have left, tell me how um, one of the things I'm sure you work with and in the work that you do with executives and leaders, someone who 
is um, working on the fact that they perhaps have arrogance, that too much of it, they're supposed to replace that behavior with um, humility and, and try to cultivate more humility. What What is something that you say to those folks to help them do that? You know, I start to ask them questions about their involvement with others, and I let them deduce that they are pretty much alone. They're not invited to many meetings. They're not engaged with all the clients. And when we start to break down that they're not invited, people are looking to seek them out. They're not part of the strategy. You start to realize, I didn't have to tell them. We start to realize, well, why is there such a disconnect? There's so much value I can add. Mm. And I would say, well, why do you think they're not inviting you? What do you think caused them not to bring you to that meeting? And so we start a dialogue. And most times people who are arrogant aren't really as self-aware as the person who is recipient to that arrogant person. So the first step is making them aware of it. They think they're doing their best and want the best for everything. So their style is, I'm doing the right job. I'm doing the right thing. They haven't stopped to think about, because they're not listening to those around them, that there's an impact. So the first key is to get them self-aware. And instead of me telling them, which they'll fight me on, right, they'll, they'll, they'll not be able to believe it, I let them figure it out and paint their own picture. Mm. And once they have that picture, it's pretty self-evident yeah. that there is something missing here. And I say, well, would you like to go to those meetings? Do you think you can add value to that, that client situation? And then we start to brainstorm, well, how do you get yourself involved where you're not taking it over? Mm. I think it's a great question to say, you know, why do you think you're not sought out? Um, because as you said at the beginning, you know, people who are arrogant aren't necessarily not, um, you know, they don't ha not have the skills. Sometimes they're often very, um, you know, they have the expertise in, in certain areas. But again, they're not they're not being sought out because of the uh, the temperament, not because of the lack of knowledge. So if you well, can, then everybody loses out. Yes, right. So right. For a business. The business loses out. And at the end of the day, whenever we're working with our clients, the effectiveness of how the business runs its operations and delivers its services and is successful is based on the knowledge base. And right. if you know now you're leaving knowledge on the table because mm -hmm. you can't bring it, right. well, there's a problem. Right, right. That's a probably a big turning point. Good stuff, as always, Tish. Um, thank you again for joining us, as you do every month. And um, I hope you have a great month, and we look forward to your segment next month. And for those listeners who um, perhaps want to get in touch with Tish and find out more about her work, um, she can be found at um, Candor. Under, is it underscore consulting? No, it's a dash. Dash, dash. dash consulting or head trash 911. And for those interested in head trash, there's a free online survey for you to assess where your head trash might be mm. at headtrash911.com. Great. All right. Thanks, See you Tish. Next month. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Uh, I'm now going to introduce, I'm very honored and thrilled to have uh, my guest this afternoon, Rose Marcario. And again, Rose is the president and CEO of Patagonia, which is a global outdoor apparel company. Um, and also really a leader in the arena of large profitable, profitable companies who give back to social causes. So I'm thrilled to welcome to the show, Rose. Thanks, Rose, for being with us. Hey, Sue, it's great to be here with you. Thank you. And, and tell me, where are you calling from today? I'm calling from sunny California, Ventura, uh, California. Very nice. 
Very nice. And I'm looking out my studio window. It's getting very, very dark. Um, It looks like we're going to have some kind of horrible storm. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, well, you know, I, I, my, my parents were born in New York. I was born in Southern California, and then I went back to New York and worked and lived for a while. And so I always consider myself, you know, I got the best of both coasts. Oh, good. <laughs> so you're somewhat of an East Coast girl. Yeah, yeah. My parents uh, are met on Staten Island in high school, and oh. that's or in college, actually. And, uh, and that's how they got to know each other, so... How many, well, that's how I kind of wanted to start the interview was to talk a little bit about your growing up years and, and you know, your family background and uh, where you came from. Yeah, well, you know, we had, my, my father was a, a public defender. My mom worked at home. Um, and, you know, like many people in the 70s, it was the product of a divorce. Okay. And in that process, my mother had real economic challenges um, because she had not worked outside the home, obviously, and then had also some health challenges. And so I think that shaped probably my sort of sense of I need to be able to take care of myself Mm. and, you know, have a kind of work life that provides for for my... um, life outside of a relationship um and i think I, I think a lot of women growing up in the 70s had that experience frankly at least seems like a lot of my friends did anyway so yeah i i can see that you know that that more of a focus on um independence because yeah. perhaps you didn't see or have that growing up yeah and then i went into you know corporate uh life and spent most of my life in in uh in public companies and then worked in private equity and consulting and um, sort of went through a reflection point at one point where I was doing incredibly well and sort of reached success by any measure. And I sort of felt like, you know, I'm not really making the world a better place. I might be taking care of myself financially and having attained a lot of the things that my immigrant grandparents would have wanted me to attain, but I wasn't really... Um, participating in the world um, in the way that I wanted to personally. And I had to sort of step back and reflect on, you know, what was I going to do with the next part of my career now that I have the experiences that I have and I can use them for for good, basically. <laughs> so yeah. that's what brought me to Patagonia. And I've I've been here for eight years. I started as CFO and became COO and then became CEO of the holding company about four years ago. And um, that's that's what brought me um, to Patagonia. And I think Yvonne Chouinard, our founder, is the quintessential responsible businessman and um, started his business as an environmentally focused business when he he saw that the damage that was being done to these wild places that he was climbing in, he was a very uh, lauded um, first descent climber, and fishermen and many other outdoor sports and pursuits, uh, surfing. And, um, and so he, he saw that sort of the damage that we were um, creating as a society to the environment and wanted to make his business a tool for change around um, environmental causes and started 1% for the Planet, which is an organization where companies give 1% of their sales not profits, their sales, 
to grassroots environmental organizations. And since that time, which was in the 90s, we've given $78 million to grassroots environmental organizations. Wow, wow. That's a big number. It is a big number. (laughs) I mean, when you consider the fact that they are more than 50% of our grantees have very small budgets, working with less than 10 people, you know, protecting your local rivers and streams and surf breaks and, um, you know, agricultural land. And, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me step back for just a minute. I, um, I understand you were prior to Patagonia, you, you were working in private equity. And yeah. one of the questions, I know it's, it's kind of no secret that you had, you know, this transformation of sorts between, um, the work that you did in private equity and your role at Patagonia. You've talked about it openly. And, you know, sometimes that comes about through years and years of reflection and kind of a sense that, you know, something is missing. And sometimes it's a, you know, uh, an experience and a big grand aha moment. I was, <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to know how that came about for you. Was it really, you know, if you go way back as a young girl, um, did you have this desire to do something meaningful and perhaps you were, you know, taking those steps to study and work in finance um, in order to have a career that, that would allow you to be successful and, and independent? Um, and where in that career did you have this sense that you were ready for a change? Well, I think like anyone who goes into the work environment, and most people go into the work environment because – they need money. <laughs> they need. Right. Yes. They need to live. And in yeah. my case, that was that was uh, that was true. And and so I focused on just you know the next promotion and the next role where I could you know have uh, more influence and make more money and kind of all the things that drive I think people in the normal corporate environment and also you know to be happy to enjoy the people that I'm working with and um, but I think at a certain point and it was really kind of in my mid-30s and I was CFO of a public company at the time which was um, you know a a, a great accomplishment by any measure Um, and I was making you know very good money I was having a good life and um I was in New York on a road show in a town car and going around to the different investment houses to, to make presentations. And I, there, was a, there was a man going across the street. He was obviously homeless or had some mental problems. And he was going to cross the street and he was holding up my car. And I started finding myself getting annoyed by the fact that the car was being held up. Oh. And just at that moment, I caught myself in the window of the town car and I thought, is this what success means? <laughs> you know? Oh, wow. Well, so a there you go. Like That's that. an aha moment for sure. It was an aha moment. And I yeah. tell you, Susan, I got out of the car. I walked to Central Park. <laughs> I had to get near nature because nature really has always been sort of my cathedral, you know, and the place where I really can reflect. And in New York, it's it's hard to find unless you go to Central it's Park. It's got to be Central Park, right. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I went there. And it, that that was sort of the beginning of, a, a much longer journey of looking at, okay, well, how can I apply my knowledge and experience and what I've learned in my wheelhouse to something that's more meaningful and can have more meaningful impact in the world? Mm. And, and work is really where the self meets the world. 
And yeah. and I think that we we sometimes go and work for places that don't share our values, and there is a toll that that takes mm-hmm. on us. And mm-hmm. I think as I got older, I realized, well, I get to make a choice, and I get to, to choose where I'm going to spend that time. I now have enough experience and have you know, achieved enough that I can, I can make that choice in a very distinctive way. And I think sometimes, especially women, too, don't, don't feel that they're empowered to make that choice. That's right. That's right. Why do you think that is? I mean, why do you think women in particular will not often um, pursue that avenue that, you know, that they deserve and that they're capable of? Yeah, I, I think this is a big issue, you know, this idea that – and I've seen it my whole career, and I've managed people since I was 20 years old, and I'm 51 now. Mm-hmm. So I've managed people for a long time. And, and women – as a percentage of men who will ask for a promotion or ask for a new job or ask for a new opportunity, it's it's 90% men and 10% women. Yeah, it's a big disparity. And, and yeah. I don't know why that is, but I always try to encourage women, like, if you want a new job or you want to do something different, step up and ask for it and make it be known and make it clear. And And I think part of it is that our structure as a country, we don't support – caregiving, and we don't su- support uh, women in the workplace in the ways that we should. I mean, we're very far behind most of the developed world when mm-hmm. it comes to paid leave right. for maternity and supporting women in the work environment. You know, it's interesting. I just shared an article this morning about the companies. There are, you know, a certain number of companies, in particular companies, that are very supportive and seeking out um, women who are what the, the, the catchphrase is relaunchers. You know, they have um, been home and, and raising their children and caring for the family, and now and they had careers prior. You know, and they had right. skills, and now they're even more equipped. I mean, once you go through parenthood. <laughs> You can do anything, um, but so it's nice to know that there's there's companies out there that are actually seeking those women in particular. Um, well, Sue, it, it, it's interesting because we have a really good uh, case study on this because we've been in business for 42 years, and we've had on-site child care for 33 years. Wow. And 100% that... of our working moms come back to work. Wow. 100%. And that's because they have – a supportive work environment, mm. and and they have a community around them that understands and supports that. We we offer paid paid paternity leave as well, and our dads take it mm-hmm. too, and they need that time as well. Um, but I think that's part of the answer is creating these supportive work environments because because women are more likely to come back to work if they feel supported. Right, and um, less, you know, and and more relaxed. In in you know, one one of your quotes um, I wrote down was that you you said you can't really split your working life from the life you live every day as a person. Yeah. So right, so here you're you're doing something that is um, supporting women in particular if, if they're mothers that allows them to to have a little bit less stress about the care of their children, and that's just going to allow them to work better. And, you know, most of the time, and we have 50% women in management and 50% men in management. That's not by design. That's just what happens as a result of creating this environment. Mm. And I think that's really important 
data for people to know. I mean, I don't think we need to scratch our heads and wonder why, you know, oh, women need to lean in more. I don't really buy that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's not that's not my, um, you know, part of what I believe. After seeing it in action in Patagonia and really seeing the history play out in a very organic way. Well, I think you're right, and I think, you know, the lean-in, that whole movement, I think, is more about just having the confidence to speak up, you know, don't don't mm-hmm. hesitate, you know, w- whether, you, you know, what you have to say is right or wrong, go for it, um, whereas what you're doing and what your company has really was doing ahead of their time is so much more actionable, and, you know, it's, it's things that c- the companies can actually do um, to help their employees. Yeah, and I actually do think there is a connection between this um, disconnection between life and work that we're talking about, some people feel, and the fact that business, American business and business in general, is responsible for more than two-thirds of the pollution in the world. And without taking much responsibility for the effects and and I think there's a connection there between how we treat people, their life, their personal lives, and how we treat the environment. And and I think that Patagonia is a good test case in the fact that we've we've got a very profitable and successful brand and company um, where we're making the connections between people's lives, their family lives, and also um, the environment that we live in. Right. The physical and, environment of air, water, soil. And, you know, Patagonia um, focusing on the environment as their um, point of activism, I'll say. I And, yeah. of course, that makes total sense because Patagonia is, an, you know, an outdoor apparel company. It all goes together. First, my one question was, was that something Yvonne – um, started as far as the activism in, for the environment, or did the two of you start that together? No, no. He started it back in the 90s with 1% for the Planet. Okay. And, um, and he, he is always, I think anyone who's spent um, the amount of time he spent in the outdoors, whether, I, I, I like this issue because it's a, it's, a, it's a bipartisan issue. You know, the reality is if you spent time outdoors and you love the outdoors and it's a place where you go to recharge and take your family and, and have experiences that bring you a lot of joy, then, you know, hopefully if you love a place, you're going to want to protect it. And I think um, the philosophy of the company is really embodied in that. Yeah. You know, with here's a question I wanted to ask you, Rose. Um, so that is the focus of, of the activism, and, and there are lots of things the company is doing. There's lots of different initiatives and um, mm-hmm. things in the community that you're doing. When it when you, as the CEO, think about, um, I guess, each quarter or whenever you sit down and say, what do, you know, what are we going to do to give back? Um, there are global initiatives and there are also community initiatives, things that you can do in your, your own community. And how do you decide – um, where you want your efforts to, to have the most impact. Because as we become more global and, you know, we certainly are, the world's becoming smaller and we're aware of so many things going on, um, how, do you, how do you make those decisions, whether it should be very much in your community or whether you want it to be more of a global impact? Well, I think, you know, if you look at corporate giving for environmentalism, only only – three percent of corporate giving goes to environmental initiatives so we see that's a big hole 
you know, and with with the the need to really protect and care for our air quality, our water quality, our soil, our oceans. Um, that, there's a big gap there. So we, we kind of fight the, the battle on all fronts. You know, we've got regional um, affiliations with all the grassroots environmental organizations that we've funded over the years. And then we have our retail stores, which we use as kind of hubs to activate um, uh, those groups and to convene those groups and have the community conversation, which I think is so important. You know, mm -hmm. we've mm -hmm. got to have the conversations um, and not just sort of, you know, battling tweets or whatever. Oh, no. absolutely. Yeah, because what do you say to those that, you know, there's people out there that still have the view that, you know, humanity really doesn't even have the power to to affect the environment. You know, the world will kind of fix itself as it's done for thousands of years. Um, yeah. What, well, what, what do you say to that? Well, I, I, I think it's, it's crystal clear in all the science shows the impact that business has on the environment. I mean, it's just crystal clear. The reality is we're not, we're not holding business in any way accountable to that. And I think, I think it's a big problem. I think it's a problem that has to be attacked from all, all sides legislatively. Um, the candidates that you, that you vote into office, um, you know, understanding what their records are. I mean, I think the easiest way for people personally to engage is to think about places they really love to be at and think, you know, get involved with the groups that are protecting those areas and understand what those issues are at a local level. Yeah, yeah, just educate And that will translate, I think, yes. globally. You know? Right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, listen, Rose, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. When we come back, I just want to talk to you a little bit more about how companies that perhaps haven't taken steps yet to be more socially you know, aware um, can do so. so Great. We'll, we'll be right back. There are 365 days to schedule a mammogram. Today is as good as any. Holy Redeemer Breast Care makes it easy. We offer the latest technology like 3D mammography, an automated breast ultrasound that help find cancers in dense breast tissue. Plus our same day readings mean same day peace of mind. Make today the day you schedule a mammogram. It's easy to request an appointment online at holyredeemer.com slash mammogram. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Welcome back, everyone, to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Um, I, I neglected at the top of the show to give out our call-in number if you're listening and, and you'd like to call in and speak directly with Rose. That number is 888-329-3306. That's 888-329-3306. Three two nine thirty three zero six, and again, my guest today is Rose Mercario, President and CEO of Patagonia, 
And, uh, yeah, Rose, before the break I mentioned, you know, companies that perhaps really haven't um, dove into being socially, you know, a socially focused organization, I'll say. What are some of the things those companies can do from the get-go or, or, you know, to get started, I'll say? Yeah, well, I think a lot of companies have sustainability departments in their company. I think it's really important, though, to integrate those into the business really directly. And and if you don't have one, the best way to start is just understanding your environmental impacts and, and then beginning to look at ways that you can improve them. And then what I think is really important for the overall industry, which is something that Patagonia has been doing since the 90s, is really share what you learn. And I think that will be of interest to the business community. It's of interest uh, to people's customers, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, every young person that I, I meet when I'm at, at a college or um, at an event where there's a lot of uh, you know college-age um, people there, that you know those groups are wanting responsible leaders that are considering the impacts of what their business is doing to the environment and how they're addressing that and what how they're addressing the social impacts um, like living wage or you know paid leave or any of these other issues they're 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 important <laughs> and i think the best talent is gravitating to those organizations that hold those values dear so are you seeing, uh, you know, we, we group everyone today, and the millennials are a particular group, particular age group. We talk about the millennials all the time. Um, when you're out and about and, and you're speaking, do you do you see a large interest on their part um, for um, for activism? I do. I think that, uh, well, I think every generation has their, uh, their issues and mm-hmm. um, are spurred to activism for for different reasons, and hopefully those those reasons are evolving as we evolve as a culture and a society. Um, unfortunately, I feel like, along with other issues, the environment is one of those things that it's it, it's gotten to uh, a breaking point before we really have taken seriously um, the impacts of commodifying our natural resources. And and so I think that that there's a lot we need to learn from the the difficulties of the past, why we're here at this moment faced with very destructive climate change if we don't start looking at ways to reduce our impact and even even more than that, restore the planet. And I think we see that when a dam is torn down that, that that's um, defunct, the river starts to flow again and nature regenerates very quickly and we're seeing it in regenerative agriculture where we're using practices that regenerate the land instead of use it up and I think these are the kinds of things that we have to do and scale in order for us to to save the planet and and I think that you know we didn't grow up Sue with the climate change right no, <laughs> we, we didn't did grow, not. Grew, 
we did not grow up with that hanging over our heads, yeah, you know. Right. Um, we had other things hanging over our heads, but not that. Right. Actually, not as yeah. much, you know, if you think of, when I think about the 70s, I think it was really a wonderful, glorious time to grow up. And certainly today, um, there's a lot to fear. And, and, you know, this was one of my questions for you, just from a personal standpoint. You know, your your focus is, is the environment and climate change, which can be a scary um Thing to think about, a scary concept. There's certainly a lot of other things going on in the world that are scary. And uh, I, I just wanted to ask you, you know, what is it that, that you're most afraid of um, day to day? Oh, I, I don't feel like I'm afraid of a lot. <laughs> well, I that's think that, good. That's sort, I think it's sort of a, a consequence of midlife. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, a, sort a of like, well, I made it this far, you know. Oh, gosh. Yeah, so. I think what what I feel most focused on is how to move things forward in a, in a positive direction. And I'm really inspired by the, the companies that we work work with that are, that are doing really great work and looking at ways to restore and regenerate the planet. But the other, the other um, people in the business community who really understand this and are working on this in their – in their own companies, and and I think we have a real movement in a positive direction. We we need to we need to scale it, and we need to keep keep going. But you know, the alternative is 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 what you know <laughs> to, to do nothing or to be afraid. I don't I don't think that's um, that, that's not what what I want to do with my days. I I want to spend as much time as I can moving things in a in a positive direction forward for the next generation, like my parents and grandparents did. Yeah. Well, so when, I, I don't. Go ahead. I was going to say I don't feel like we're leaving to the next generation this kind of bounty that, in some ways, I feel like my gra- grandparents and my parents did for us. Tell me about your grandparents. I, I were they from Italy? Uh, well, on my mom's side, yes, um, and my and and my dad's side as well. Although it was my great grandparents on my dad's side, so. Um, yeah, they immigrated into Ellis Island and, you know, had the immigrant American dream. And were you brought up with the stories? You know, the of stories. Course. Yeah. I, I just <laughs> think that's so, you know, it's so fascinating to learn the stories of, you know, your past and and how they perhaps reflect who you are and, and some of the decisions that you make. Well, and you appreciate it so much more as you get older, which is yes. something that's hard to really describe, but it's true. And you think about the sacrifices, you know, that they made. And I think about the bravery it took to get on a boat and travel yeah. for weeks and weeks with no money. Yeah. And arrive in a country where you don't speak the language and create a life. And in two generations, you know, you, you have a, a great granddaughter or a granddaughter who can be the CEO of a company. Yeah, it, it is amazing when you put all those yeah. all the pieces of the puzzle together, and and we do tend to reflect on that more as we get older. Um, That's true. Yeah. So, Rose, you have a big job, right? You're CEO of Patagonia is a big job. I'm sure your day is full of emails and phone calls and and tasks and to-do lists. And um, I never like to say on this show, how do you manage, you know, life-work balance? Um, Because I think there's no such thing. It's, you know, you take each day as it comes. But I do think that we all um, have a certain way that we go about our day that works for us, you know, ways Mm -hmm. that we cope. 
Um, tell me what your philosophy is for really just kind of keeping it as together as you can. What helps you in your job? And, and then perhaps what is some of the challenges for you? What's something that you have to um, fight day to day to do better? Well, for tools in my toolkit, I don't think anything has helped me more than meditation. And I've, I've been meditating for 20 years, and I find it incredibly helpful. Um, so I met, try to meditate every day in the morning and at night, and that is, um, helps set the tone and the intention for, for what I'm doing for the day. And it really does mentally help me. And then getting out in nature when I can, which gets harder when you have a full schedule, but any time now that I have sort of time off, I really want to be in nature. I find it incredibly restorative. It helps to just settle my mind, helps me think bigger, and uh, I find it really helpful. And so, and how about some of the some some of the things that are challenging for you? What are what are the things that you well know, you technology the the inability to unplug. Re- remember before email, Sue? Yeah, I do, I do. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and mobile phones. Yeah, right. It was a little more peaceful, I think. You could actually go on vacation. Right. Um, right, and people couldn't part, find you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that part is really challenging for me. I still have not sorted out, like, how much to really engage with it or not engage with it where I, not, I feel like I'm not doing my job, you know. Yeah, and, and I haven't right. really figured out a good system for it, to be honest. I, I would love to, to have one. Yeah, it is hard because I, I know for me, being in media, I really have a desire and yearning to be in the loop and know what's going on. However, if I'm so um, attached to that, I, I start to feel myself just getting overwhelmed with, with all of the noise. And so that's when I walk away. I close the laptop and I walk away. Um, it is hard to find that balance. You have to stay on top of things that are coming to you day to day. But at the same time, it really is so important to just have quiet time so that you can reflect and make better decisions. Yeah, and I mean, I don't know if this statistic is true, but I heard that compared to our our the generation before us, we're seeing like 50,000 times more the, the news media, you know. And so yeah. I think at some point you have to self-monitor that to, you know, what can you affect and help change and what specific actions are you going to do about that and then, you know, manage that for yourself because it, it does become overwhelming. And I, I think it's it's really the biggest, you know, personal hurdle for me around just managing my day. Yeah. Tell me, um, other than Yvonne, and it's is it pronounced Chouinard? Is that how his last name is pronounced? Chouinard. Chouinard. Um, by the way, mm-hmm. I, when my, my preparation for the show, I just wanted to mention that he is from Lewiston, Maine, where my mother-in-law happens to be from. Oh, my God. Yes, and it's a small town, yeah. and I, I reached out to her. I wanted to, to tell her um, that that was the founder of, <laughs> of the company and see if they know each other. You know, there's a good <laughs> chance they do. Um, that's just a shout-out to my mother-in-law. But oh. um, I know that he's had a, a very big impact in your life. Is there someone else that kind of keeps you grounded, someone that's a go-to person for you? Um, you know, Oh, you, I, you I, I don't think I would say it's one individual I have through my work life and through my friendships in my life connected with so many amazing people who have you know I've stayed in touch with and they're always available to me at a moment's notice I mean I'm always impressed at how people want want to help and do help when when times are are difficult so I don't think I'd 
I'd you say can't one name other one. person's yeah. name. I couldn't name one. There's so many, and and uh, I'm I'm so grateful for that. And I think anybody who's had a work work life um, like mine, who's been in, in a number of different companies, has created a network of of friends and like-minded colleagues. And um, it's it's sort of one of the the nice um, nice things about midlife. I think is that you 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 have those people. And is there is there a, I know I have a couple pieces of advice and a lot of them have come from this show and the women that have been on the show that have said mm. something that stayed with me. Um, is there a piece of advice that you received from, from one of the people in your inner circle that's kind of a go-to phrase when you're feeling a little out of sorts? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, don't get lost in the weeds. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, keep keep uh, keep the big picture in mind, and I think that that's always helpful in in just about every situation, personal and professional. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk about some of the initiatives that Patagonia is involved in, and if there was one, is there one in particular that, that's um, new um, that you wanted to mention and talk about, and, and what you're doing? Yeah, I, I think uh, we're doing a. a a tour this year um, with our Warnware um, truck, which is really talking about we we repair all the garments that we that we sell if if something um, is um, in need of repair. We run the largest um, apparel repair center uh, in North North America, <laughs> and and the reason for that is that. If you repair something and keep it in use longer, it is the single best thing that you can do for the environment. And I know that flies in the face of fast fashion, but the reality is we can't just keep consuming at an unbridled rate. And so it's very important that you know you buy good quality stuff that will last you a long time. And that's and that's it. That's the biggest impact a person can have when it comes to purchasing their apparel. So something for people to think about in terms of what they can do. So I'm really excited about our Warnware tour. And we we just um, we started a very small food business a few years ago, and we've got a tour going on right now for the uh, movie, and it's related to regenerative agriculture, which you, you and I were talking about earlier, and it's called Unbroken Ground. And the movie will be available, I think, free on our website soon. It's being toured around the uh, country right now. And it'll be toured around the world. And I, for people to to understand some of the issues around their, the food supply, I think it's uh, it, it's really an informative movie, and it, I think it's it's worth a watch. It's it's only 20 25 minutes long or something like that. So it's um, it's definitely I think a very good educational piece for people to to understand what we're doing, and then also the the impacts of industrial agriculture. Okay, tell me about some of the things you do in your personal life. Um, to help the environment <laughs> in my personal life well my my personal life my you know my um, my activist days uh, other than going to the the climate march in New York and uh, the negotiation zone at uh, in Paris at cop twenty one my personal life my activism has been kind of toned down because i 'm spending all my do- day being a CEO <laughs> but, <laughs> that's not good that means you're not you're not allowing yourself enough personal time <laughs> yeah yeah i really i i'm I'm looking forward to soon doing an environmental internship our our company offers uh, environmental internships where you can go work for an environmental group yes um, we'll, I saw that we, we pay for it right and so i, I I'm 
I'm going to actually try and do that in the next <laughs> in the next year or so because I I really uh, I really want to have that on the ground um, experience again. I miss it, but um, I'm trying to do it through through the company and through the actions that our company takes as a business. So yeah, tell me, um, you know, obviously Women to Watch is is a show that that. Uh, showcases women like you, women who are leaders and, and hold C-suite positions. And um, when you think about the there's, – there's definitely a shift going on and kind of I'll, I'll say a movement um, for women, working women today that is different from back in the 70s as well when you talk about feminism. Um, mm-hmm. There are just so many organizations, networking groups and, and books being written and um, workshops and all kinds of things. When you think about all of that, um, and I often talk about the fact that I think one of the, the major things that really holds women back, it really is not their skills or their abilities. It's more of a, a lack of belief. Um, what what would you say to women to kind of help them with that part of the puzzle? In other words, they're, and, and for many who are would be the relaunchers that we talked about at the beginning of the show, um, to kind of help them really have that belief in themselves that they, they can, in fact, go out, and whether it's being an entrepreneur and starting a new business or ask for that raise um, at the mm-hmm. company they are in, um, words of advice around that? Well, I think having confidence is an issue. You know, you were talking about that in the top of the show, and I think that, you know, there's some people who are overconfident or arrogant. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's yes, a different, right. That's a different thing, but I think women as a whole, if I can make generalizations here, as, yes. you know, to, to, to a degree, are, tend to be less likely to do that. And and I think in general, you know, speaking up more in meetings, letting your point of view be known. A, a lot of times I think women know the answer, they have an idea, but they don't put it forward or they don't contextualize it. And I think that's a really important thing to just try. And especially if you're a young woman and you're starting out your career, you're, you're going to get points for trying. <laughs> yeah. So so just go for it and don't be afraid. And I think that's a that's a big, you know, one one big piece of advice. And I think the other is, um, you know, know know your environment and and be aware of um, places that support you as a person versus places where you feel like you're just always fighting against the tide. Mm. And, and and find your tribe and find like-minded um, businesses and places where you will really be able to grow and excel. Yeah, and right, that's, you know, aligning with people that kind of lift you up and, and um, view the world as you do. That's real important. Yeah. Not that everyone has the opportunity to kind of pick and choose um, that all of the time, but – um, you know what? What I didn't, what we didn't talk about was um, the actual um, opportunity, how it came about for you to to go to Patagonia and and become CEO. What what precipitated that move? Well, I had gone on a trip um, to India, kind of to meditate and sort of sort out my life. <laughs> When I got back from that trip, and I was really unclear what I was doing. I had left private equity. I had taken a break. My mother was quite ill at the time, so I was taking care of my mom and getting her resituated. She had to move. And and 
I started to sort of map out what the next chapter would look like, and I've always been really good about doing that. You know, I always sit down, you know, once a year and look at my goals, my personal goals and my professional goals, and say, what do I want to accomplish? And I think everybody should do that for themselves. Um, it's a really good thing to do to take that time for yourself and and just plan your year, <laughs> just like a business would plan its year. Mm-hmm. You know, right? Plan what's important to you. And start thinking about how you get it. And so I, I literally uh, wrote on a piece of paper, become CEO of an iconic brand that shares my values. Wow, you did. Oh, my gosh. And, and I thought I was so far flung from that, that, you know, that that was like something I'd get 10 years from now. <laughs> and, and, and really eight years, eight, whatever it's been, four years later um, after that, I, I got a call, call from a, a a recruiter about the job as CFO for Patagonia, and I had heard so much about Yvonne and had knew so many people that had known him over the years and said, he is the real deal. He is a responsible businessman, and um, he, he really believes and, and, and works in an environment and has created an environment that is like no other. And so when I got the call, it was sort of a no-brainer that um, I would go and, and, and at least see what it was like. And at the time, I had no idea that I would, would end up um, as CEO, but that's the way it's, it's played out. Well, you know what that sounds like to me, the law of attraction, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. You, know, yeah. you wrote it down on a piece of paper, and it happened. I mean, it, do you believe in that? You know, I, I have to say, Sue, that, that this exercise of planning your life and just sitting down once a year and writing, I have to say I've been doing that since I was 18 years old. Oh, gosh. And wow. I, I have accomplished every single, almost every single thing I've written, on, you know, over the years. And sometimes I'll forget it and I'll lose the piece of paper. Yeah, right. <laughs> and some, I'll find it 10 years later and I'll go, wow, I did all those things, wow. you know. And if I yeah. didn't do something... It's usually because it didn't really ma- I didn't really care as much about it as I thought I did. You know, I think that's one of the most powerful things you've said in this whole show. It really, um, you were ahead of your time in that because it's something that, again, is, is um, very much a part of the conversation uh, among people, you know, trying to, to help people succeed. You know, they say, write it down, you know, put it on a, a yellow sticky note and put it up on your, in your office door and, and focus on it. Um, but you were kind of, you just did that without anyone telling you to do it. Is that right? Well, I did. And, you know, I think part, part of it came out of desperation. You know, so, I mean, my mom had real economic problems. She had health problems. We were on food stamps. We were on welfare for, for a period of time. And and I think I started to just think of I've got to start thinking positively about what could what could happen in the next five years what could happen where do I what do I want my life to look like and and that helped me get through those tough times. Well, you know, I I always say that I think there's always something behind um, people's drive and and it always starts at the beginning. So for you, it, it really seems to have been the experience that you had being poor, you know, and, Mm -hmm. and, and watching your mom struggle that way. And that was ingrained in you. And, and it probably um, has a very strong impact on a lot of the things that you do today, how you do them and how you make decisions. 
Uh, sure. I mean, we are a product of our experience. You know, a lot of young women say to me, how how can I get to be CEO like you? And I said, you can't live my life. That's right. You know, your journey and your experience is so unique. You know, right. you will draft off that unique experience to create an amazing life. That's right. And and they can do it, but it, it might come from a different place or, or for a different reason. Right. Yeah. And and tell me, we have a, just a couple minutes left. I, what is it about India? I have had so many guests. <laughs> oh, I know. a lot of people go on retreats there. <laughs> if you meditate, it's sort of like a place that people go for retreats. There's, yes. there's nothing really special. I mean, there's nothing special about, you know, you, you don't come back a different – I mean, my experience was you don't come back a different person. You are the person you are when you go and when you come back. But it's just – for me, it was a way to kind of get out of my my world for a while and uh, and have an experience. Yeah, well, I think it probably is what we talked about earlier. It's a, it's just a time to have quiet and to get away from the distraction. And and um, I love the way you said that you're the same person. You're just kind of putting yourself in an, uh, a different environment so that you can really pay attention to the voice, right, uh, that powerful voice that really guides you. Um, but I've had so many guests, so many women that have gone to India, and it really has been a place where they have had uh, – Perhaps not the aha moment, but just those revelations. Yeah. And do you have well, any? Well, I think, too, just just trusting your quieting things down and trusting your gut instinct, which might seem counter to whatever the status quo is. That's right. Is very important. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I think back on the decision to leave the job I left before I came to Patagonia, I had many people in my life saying to me, what are you doing? You're making a huge mistake. You shouldn't be leaving this job. You know, you're, you're, you know, you're going to become president. Of it. You know, there were all kinds of things going on, and I just had to block them out and keep going down my path. Yeah, yeah. And, and my path led me to exactly the right spot, and I think it's just having confidence in your path and your inner voice and – and and following that yeah well it worked for you it certainly worked for you and i thank you so much rose for taking <laughs> the time you. to be with us today um continued success and enjoy the rest of your day thank you okay bye bye-bye that's it everyone for this week of women to watch have a great week